So good to see each of you this morning. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. So we are moving out of the book of Numbers. As you know, we've been in our series called Dwell. We're looking at how God himself came to dwell among, live among the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And so we've been looking at the book of Leviticus and Numbers. And now today, the third and final book of this series we're looking at, Deuteronomy, will begin in chapter 4 today. Uh, And we're going to be in Deuteronomy, of course, for the remainder of the series until Christmas. So every sermon between now and Christmas will be uh, from Deuteronomy. Lots of good stuff here. Uh, Can't wait to dig into it with you. But before we do that, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word uh, this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to even be here to worship together as the family of God. Lord, we believe in your truth. We believe that you have revealed yourself through your word to us. So now would you speak it into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand, help us to listen well. Lord, help us to leave here ready and equipped and motivated to obey, to obey your word. Help us to see that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we now come to the book of Deuteronomy, we find the Israelites in the plains of Moab, which are just on the east side of the Jordan River. All right, so they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. It's a long time. And so now they're coming up and they're on the east side of the Jordan River, just across the river from the city of Jericho. Maybe you've heard of Jericho before. And they're on the brink of entering into this land that God promised to give their forefathers. And so after 40 years, a new generation, a new and younger generation of Israelites are now all that's left because everyone else died in the wilderness. As we've been looking through the book of Numbers, we've seen their rebellion. We've seen that God sentenced everyone over 20 years old, that they would have to die in the wilderness because of their sin. And that's what happened. And so now you have this new generation. They're ready to go across the Jordan River. They're ready to cross in and go into the land that God promised to give their forefathers. So here's the thing, though. God himself dwells among them, right? So he is in this portable tent, right? And and his unique presence is in this portable tent called a tabernacle, as we've been studying about throughout the series. And he has taught his people how to worship him there. He has taught them how to love him. He has taught them how to respect and love each other and the world. And remember, remember, this is all rooted in God's promise long before, many years before, to their forefather, Abraham, right? God told Abraham way back in Genesis 12, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, out of your family. And the reason, the whole reason for all of this is so that that family, that nation that was then known as Israel would be a representation of God himself to the rest of the world. There was a lot of people living in the world at that time. We, we maybe we get a little, you know, uh, close-minded and only think that it was just this one little. But there was people. There were people living all over the world at this time, and so you have different civilizations all around. And God says, "I want to make myself known to this sinful race of humans. I want my. I want humanity as a whole to to know right to know who I am." 
And so he chooses these people, the Israelites, through Abraham and says, I want you to represent me to everyone else so they can know, so they can see. Because the whole human race was sinful because they had rebelled against God. But now, God's people who are commissioned to represent him to the rest of the world, they're about to enter into this strange land. And that's a good land with lots of resources, but it's a land that is filled with false idol worship. It's a land filled with people who do not know the one true God and who have created other types of gods to worship. It's a land filled of people where the culture does not honor God's ways of living life. Theologian Christopher Wright, in his commentary on Deuteronomy, he points out the significance of Israel moving into Canaan, which that was the land that they were going to go into. The promised land was called Canaan. Now, he asked, will they continue? Will Israel continue to live for God as a distinct community in the midst of this idolatrous and polytheistic culture? In other words, a culture that worshipped many gods, little g gods that they created themselves, or will Israel, will they treat God as just another God, as one of many? Will the people of God, will they uphold his standards of justice and righteousness and compassion in this new place, this new culture, or will they compromise their faith? Will they sink to the inequalities, the corruptions, and the perversions of Canaanite culture? Well, this is what Moses is most concerned about. You see, the book of Deuteronomy is fascinating. It really is. It is because it's Moses' final address to this younger generation. It's his last sermon or sermons, if you will. Moses records these words so that this new generation, as they go ahead and forward into the land, They will know and be encouraged to love the Lord with all their heart and to truly, really live for Him even when they are tempted not to in the midst of a crazy, wild culture that they're entering into. So they can truly be a light to the nations around them if they actually obey God's commands. So what does Moses have to say to this new generation? Well, today we're going to pick up in chapter 4. And what I want us to do is look at a few highlights uh, of what is essentially a sermon from Moses, all right? So we're going to look, I'm preaching a sermon today about a sermon, you got it? All right, so here we go. This is Moses' sermon, written a long time ago, uh, and much shorter than mine. Um, And here we go, Deuteronomy chapter 4, all right? Verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start. So here's what Moses says. He says, and now, O Israel... Listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So let's stop right there for a second. This this new generation of Israelites must listen to God's word, Moses says. They must stick to God's truth as they embark on this new journey. They must obey and actually do what God's word says, right? And Moses says, don't add to it, 
Don't make up your own rules in addition to it, but also don't take away from it. Don't only take the parts that you want to live out and you want to obey. So this moral clarity, we could call it, will be important in Canaan, a place and a culture that is full of idolatry. There's all kinds of gods that people have made out of wood, out of stone, statues that they actually really do sacrifice to and they bow down to and they worship. And Moses is saying, listen, your faith is going to be challenged by this society. And so you must stick to what we know is true. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Know the accurate word of God, his commands, and do them. Now, let's skip down to verse 6. Look what he says. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, Moses says, that the Israelites' obedience is, in other words, actually doing what God has commanded them, their obedience is what will actually serve as a faithful and very impactful witness to those around them who do not love and worship the Lord. Look what he says in verse 7 and 8. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So in other words, Moses tells them that, listen, we, we have the truth. As God's people, we know the one true God. He has spoken to us. We have his word. We know how he has commanded us to live and how he has created this world to work. So let's show people. Let's show the people around us, Moses says, that God is real. Our God is real and that he really has the power to transform people's lives. Continue verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So again, Moses is saying the essence of godly soul care Taking care of your own heart and soul is remembering God's good truth. Remembering God's actions and what he's done. And what does he say? Storing them up, right? Storing them in your heart, keeping them in your heart all your days. And it's that spirit of gratitude that will overflow out of your life into actual models and patterns of behavior. And so this is something that the new generation must understand and really model and pass on to their kids, And then their kids must understand this and model it and pass it on to their kids so that what happens? The kingdom of God continues to expand through his people's obedience. Let's skip down to verse 15. Moses says, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is under the water, sorry, that is in the water under the earth, 
And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things, these are just things that the Lord, your God, has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Now this is really important to understand. Moses is talking to people who grew up or essentially, you know, their, their, their tribe, their people, right, grew up and were raised in ancient Egypt. Now, maybe you've seen murals or paintings from the pyramids and things like this, right? During this context of human history, the Egyptians worshipped all kinds of false gods. But it were, they were just things that they created, and a lot of them had animal shapes and animal figures and things like this. And so think about this. Moses is rattling off all these things. Now, in our modern minds, we're like, this, is, this, is, this seems weird that he's naming off like, hey, don't worship anything that looks like a bird or whatever or whatever. But that's what they've always seen. That's what they've always known. And guess what? It's not going to get any better when they get into Canaan. Because when they get into Canaan, they're still going to see all these false gods that people have made and that they're bowing down to. Maybe even just the moon and the stars and the sun. But Moses is making it clear here that our God, our God, the one true God, is a spirit who is invisible. He's a spirit who is invisible. He has no body. No, so nothing in this world and nothing that we could ever create with our own hands is adequate to represent him. Nor is anything in the created order worthy of worship. We must not try to attribute or make something as if it is God we must not worship the creation, we worship the creator alone. So we cannot form God, we cannot make anything look like a God of any kind. Now look what he says in verse 20. Moses says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. We, Moses says, we can't form God. But he forms us out of the furnace. God has formed humanity in his image and given us the responsibility to reflect him to the world. Now then in verses 39 and 40, we'll, we'll wrap up here from Moses' sermon. Look at verse 39 and 40. Moses concludes this section by saying this. He says, Know therefore today, Today, and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So I think there are several important things that Moses stresses in these highlights of his sermon that we just read today, his message to God's people. And so today I want us to focus on one of the major points that Moses makes, specifically in verse 6. So if you look back in verse 6, it'll be on the screen for you as well, because this is really, this is really reminding the people of their purpose as God's people, right? 
to represent him in this world and show the rest of the world what he is actually like since he is invisible. Since God is invisible, we show the world what his character and what his goodness and his heart is really like through our obedience to his word, to his commands. So look at verse 6 again. That's what Moses is saying here. Keep them and do them. In other words, do the commands that God gives us. Why? Why? For that, that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. In other words, obedience to God is a faithful and impactful witness to those around us. When people see God's people, right, when non-Christians, so let's fast forward now to modern day context. All right, we've been reading things that have happened thousands of years ago. Now let's move into modern day times, all right, where we are now, where you're seated now. When Christians live out the faith of our God, it is a signal, it is a picture, it is a representation of who God is. And so people look at your life if you claim to love the Lord and they look at your life and they don't see any evidence of love for the Lord, what does that say about the Lord? What does that say about God to them? When non-Christians see us living differently though with wisdom and selfless love and surprising joy when we're not supposed to have joy and generosity when we could have been stingy or compassion, when they see these characteristics in us, they will take notice. They'll be intrigued. And maybe, just maybe, they'll want to know, why are we that way? What is the source of these character qualities in us? The main point we see today from Moses' sermon that's just as applicable as it is today is that our obedience to God's word serves as a powerful witness to this world. Our obedience to God's word serves as a very powerful witness to the world. And I want us to look at Specifically, three reasons from Moses' sermon as to why that's true. All right, the first one is this. Obedience shows God's truth is reality. Obedience shows the world that God's truth is what is actually real. So one of the more, one of the more disheartening parts of our modern culture today is our society's moral ambiguity. So in many ways, in our American culture specifically, I'm speaking, uh, a, lot of, a lot of our culture, a lot of our society has really, um, we're, we're just confused on what is actually true, what is considered to be right, what is considered to be wrong, and everyone has their own opinion, right? Everyone has their own opinion, and then we live in a funny world where technology and the internet makes it available that we can hear everyone's opinions, Right? Used to, in the old days, you could only hear someone's opinion in a newspaper column or what your neighbor talked to you about by the mailbox. But now you get to hear everybody's opinion, including your high school classmate that you're friends with on Facebook and haven't talked to in 20 years. Just saying. <laughs> Who cares, right? <laughs> Everyone has their own opinion as to what they believe is real and what's true and conspiracy and blah, blah, blah. Everybody has their own opinion as to what our standards of right and wrong should be. Christian author Trevin Wax, he makes a good point that I, I thought was really, really good. I heard him speak recently. He said, not, we, as Christians in our culture today, we, we shouldn't be too discouraged about the secularization. In other words, the moving on of our society with no idea or concept of God, no idea or concept of absolute truth. 
He says we shouldn't be too discouraged about that, and here's why he believes why, and I agree with him. Because eventually, eventually, in this pattern of denying truth and absolutes in the world, eventually, that's going to be too confusing. And amidst that confusion, if the church of Jesus Christ, if we persevere in his truth, just keep steady, steady, steady in the truth of God, perhaps... Perhaps the culture around us, as it continues to lose its moral bearings, eventually, if the church perseveres, it may just be our moral clarity that becomes attractive to non-Christians. It may actually be our moral clarity that is appealing to those who are hungering and thirsting for some kind of bedrock truth to build their lives on. So Christians today, you, me, in this world now, we can show, we can actually show people that we do have absolute truth in this world. And I'm, I'm emphasizing the word show, not shout. Okay? Show, not shout, right? Don't just tell them, hey, you need to get it right and you need to do this and you need to do that, but show them through obedience yourself to God's word that God's truth, it works. It just works. The world was designed to work a certain way by a creator who loves us. In verse 39, that's why Moses says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. I love that because essentially Moses is saying, God, the creator of the universe, creates through the power of his word, right? Remember that? What are the first few verses of the whole entire story of God? In the beginning, God created, right? And how did he create? By his word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in other words, everything that is in existence, the created world around us, is from God, spoken into existence by his very words. So God is the ultimate source. He must be. He can, there is no other option. God is the ultimate source and beginning of all that is good and all that is true. You can trace it back to the words that he spoke in the beginning. God did not create a world, and then arbitrarily decide, I'm going to think that this action is good and this action is bad, right? So uh, serving people and loving people is good. And we're going to say that taking someone's life is bad, right? No, it wasn't like he just randomly did things and decided, I'm going to call this good or bad. You know how we know what is good today? Do you know how we know what is bad today? What what is good today is good because it always has been, because it derives its origin from the very character of who God is. Everything that we know that is good in this world comes from the source of God's own heart. That's how we know what is good. That's how we define what is right and what is wrong. Because only good comes from the source of a good creator God. Verse 40. What does Moses say? He says, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. Therefore. In other words, you got to look back at verse 39 because verse 40 is continuing that thought process. So Moses says, if God 
if God is the true Lord in heaven above and on earth beneath and there is no other, then you know what? It makes sense. It makes sense, doesn't it, that we should keep his rules and his commands because I think he designed this world to work pretty well. I think he knows what he's doing. Now, some of you may, you know, you may tinker with some machine or, you know, or like me with my kids' toys that break, you know, and do I ever, we throw, we throw away the instructions, right? As soon as we get them, we throw the instructions away. I don't need to know how the manufacturer designed it to work. I think I can figure it out, right? Or I can make it work even better. That's not true though. It never works. We know, we know that our God designed this world to work and function a certain way. And when we live in that way, it just works. It works well. Obedience makes perfect sense, in other words, is what we're saying, when you realize God is God. God's ways work. When you obey God, you are conforming to reality. Christian pastor and author Matt Fuller says, following the Creator's wise instruction is always going to be the best way of living. That doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. Far from it. Your life may be really hard. Because you're living in a society that doesn't love the ways of God. And when you start living in those ways, don't you think there's going to be friction, tension? Of course. So in many ways, when you choose to follow the Lord, your life may actually get more difficult. But in the end, it works. We see the goodness of God's character transforming who we are. That's what Moses was saying about the nation of Israel at the time in verse 7 and 8. Right? He's saying, who, who, has, who has a God? right? That is near to us like our God. Who, who has a God, right? With these great rules and statutes that are righteous. In other words, he's saying the gods of Canaan, the gods of Canaan will be proved false by Israel's obedience. Let me say that again. The gods of Canaan would be proved false. Why? Because of Israel's obedience to the one true God. That was Israel's mission then. But now it's not, it's not one nation's job. It's the worldwide church's job across all nations, all believers. It's our job to represent God on this earth by showing the world that our God is real and he's alive. Our obedience can show those around us that God, he really did design the world to work and function a certain way. And when we live in that way consistently, it doesn't mean that we're perfect but it does mean that we're striving. We're striving to be the people of God who are content and joyful and loving and selfless, selfless, pointing to someone greater than ourselves, pointing to God himself. But get this, not only did God create all truth by his word, and so that's how we know that what is actual reality, get this, he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. That brings us to the second point today. Obedience. Obedience, not only does it show that God's truth is reality, it shows God's word should be taken seriously. And here we're referring to the scriptures, the Bible. Author Tim Keller said, the same mind, the same mind running the universe expresses itself in the Bible. So there's no limit There's no limit to the perfect trustworthiness of the scripture. It is therefore the only solid foundation on which to build a life. 
Have you ever thought about God's word that way, the Bible? The same mind that spoke the universe into existence, you have a copy of his thoughts if you have a Bible in your home. But that's pretty cool, right? I mean, that's amazing. That's awesome. We should probably take it a little more seriously than we do, right? How awesome is it that we have God's word, his thoughts, his words himself given to us in written form that he is so great and so sovereign that he designed a way for us to know who he is in a language we can understand. How cool, how cool is that? It's very gracious of him that he would even make himself known in that way, that he would give us the Bible as we have it today. Deuteronomy chapter four, again, look at verses one and two, just some of these highlights here. Moses says, listen, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them. You shall not add, he says, verse two, you shall not add to the word that I command you nor take away from it. So Moses is telling the people at the time, listen to the word, obey the word, know God's word and know it accurately. We must know the word of God. We must know what the Bible says because not because it's not just some random list of do's and don'ts. It's not a random list of evaluation like, well, let's see, how am I doing today? It's God's word. It's his thoughts. It's his commands. It's his goodness revealing his design for how he made this world to work and function. So why would we not want to know it? Why would we not want to study it deeply? Not just an Instagram once a day verse to ponder and think, oh, that's sweet and cute and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. No, like why would we not want to know the real richness and the meat and the depth of God's word? Accurately, know it accurately so we do not distort it, so we don't confuse it or misunderstand it with all the other voices in the world, all the other things and people who are saying things and what's right and what's wrong what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Why would we not build our lives on what the creator of the universe has said? That's why Moses says in verse nine, take care. Keep your soul diligently because you might forget. You might forget these things. The essence of godly soul care is remembering God's good truth and actions and storing them in your heart. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I can obey you and show this world what you really like. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget. I will not forget your word. How quickly are you forgetting God's word in your daily life? Is it because you're not spending time in it? Is it because you're not dedicating yourself to really reading it and digesting it and maybe even purchasing a Bible study or a commentary or a book to help you understand it? Something. What resources are you using? We have so many good resources in our world today. So many great thinkers out there who have preceded us, who have helped, can help us understand what the scriptures mean. We have so many good things to help us understand what God has said. So as we learn, in today's world, we have no excuse to not learn. As we learn to delight in God's word and cherish it, It's that spirit of gratitude that overflows into our daily patterns of 
living in obedience. You know, James says in his letter, in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, he talks about the importance of listening and knowing God's word and then actually doing what it says. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And no, see, men do that. Women don't do that, right? They remember what they look like. They're like, I go, yeah, I'm just kidding. Verse 25, but the one who looks, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. He will be blessed in his doing. In other words, James says, you can't just hear a good sermon and then walk away and totally not apply it to your life. You can't just spend some good time in the Bible in your community group on Sunday mornings and, and like really enjoy the discussion and, and then walk away and just like forget about it, right? You can't just have that good moment before you go to bed or in the middle of your coffee break in the afternoon or, or in the morning when you wake up. You can't just have that good moment with God's word open, doing a reading plan that you're reading and reading some commentary and, and praying about what you're reading. You can't just do that and then walk away and then live your life however you want. James says, no, one sincere Bible study leads to sincere action. It must. So to not take obedience to God's word seriously is to essentially create a God who is a figment of your imagination. And what do I mean by that? In other words, when we do study the Bible and then we walk away from it in any form, right? Any context, I should say. Any context, we study the Bible and then we walk away and we just live however we want, right? Guess what? That is, it, that is as if you have created this other version of God, your own kind of God that Moses, you know, back in the day said, hey, don't do that. Don't form your own version of God. How are we doing that in today's world? It's because we're creating this version of God that it's okay if we do certain sins or we yell at someone or we lose our temper. It's okay if we live selfishly and don't serve others. It's okay if we're disobedient. We can just pick and choose what parts we want to remember, what parts we want to actually follow through and obey. Matt Fuller, to quote him again, he says, unless we keep listening... Unless we keep listening to his voice, God's voice in the scriptures, we will make an idol of him in our minds and lives. In other words, we will form a version of God that we can live with. One who lets certain things slide. One who doesn't pressure us in any kind of way. You know, one way to prevent this is by studying the whole Bible over long periods of time. Studying the whole Bible over long periods of time. We strive to do that here at Kernan. You know, in the fall, we preach sermon series through the Old Testament. In the spring, we preach a sermon series through the New Testament. And we're trying to do that every year. And then we filter in other things in between. Our Bible studies that we use, most of the curriculum that you use in your community groups is the Gospel Project. It goes literally from Genesis to Revelation. Because we believe that the whole story of God, every part of it, from the front cover to the back cover, is important. That's why one of our core values here at the church is we want to know what the Bible says and means because we believe the creator of the universe has given it to us. <laughs> why would we not? So Moses keeps reinforcing this, right? He keeps reinforcing the importance of long-term obedience to God's word, to take it seriously and to pass it on to your kids. 
to your grandchildren, he says. So we therefore, we reflect, we reflect him and his truth by listening to and obeying his word. You know, we, and I want to say this too before we move on to the last point. We don't seek to obey God's word, word to prove ourselves that we're worthy of his love, you know? Like, the reason we obey is not so that we can say, hey, look how good I am. Or aren't, aren't I lovable, <laughs> right? <laughs> we don't do that. We don't, we, don't, we don't obey so that we can convince God that he should love us or to show others how morally upright we are. We obey because we belong. We obey because we belong to God. We obey because we are already loved by him. So our obedience to God's word It's out of gratitude. It's out of a desire to please God, not to convince God or anybody else or ourselves. Lastly, number three, the third thing we see from Moses' sermon today is that obedience shows God's transforming power. Obedience shows that God is alive, he's real, and he actually changes people's lives. People's behavior change over time because God is working in their hearts. That's what obedience tells the world around you. Now, as we've already said, God is a spirit who's invisible. So nothing in this world and nothing that we could ever create with our own hands is adequate to represent him, right? Now, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, now that's interesting. Now look at Acts chapter 17, verse 29. Paul, standing in the middle of a very secularized culture in Athens, Greece, an ancient Greek culture with all their philosophy and false gods, he's standing there, and you know what he says? He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So again, very clear that we cannot form God or make anything a God. So in verse 20 then of Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So again, he forms us. We serve a distinct and holy God who is unlike anything in this created world. So get this one way, one way that our lives reflect this invisible God is by reflecting his character. So what we have to be careful to do as God-fearing people, as the people of God today, is let's not dumb God down. Let's not represent him falsely with our unholy and disobedient living as his people. Let's not treat God by the way we live as if he's something that we just made up in our imaginations. If we really believe God is God, that he is a being like no other, then we should give him the honor and the respect that is due his holy name in the way that we live our lives on a daily basis. Now, ultimately, ultimately we fail at this. 
We're just not really good at it, are we? <laughs> at representing who God is, his character, his heart. Are we, are we good images of the invisible God? When people see us, do they really see what God is like? Maybe at times, maybe at times. Maybe at times we do display good qualities, good characteristics that point people to the fact that there must be a source of goodness and truth in this world. But ultimately we fail. And so that's why we need we need a visible God. We need God to really show us what he is like in ways that we could never do. And get this. What if I told you that the creator of the universe, who spoke it into existence, who set his ways forth as the source of all things good and true, even though his own creation rebelled against him, even though his own people failed to love him and obey him and reflect him, what if I told you that that same God came to earth as one of us to do what we could not do? To do what we could not do. To be the perfect image of God. To fulfill in obedience what we were called to do but failed to do. To live for you to live a perfect life as your substitute for you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, and being found in human form, he, Jesus Christ, humbled himself humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient. Doing what God commands. Living in the design and the function that God created the world to be. Jesus became obedient in all of those ways, in all the ways that we want to be but we can't, in all the ways that we strive to be but we fail. Jesus comes to earth and he does exactly what we can't do because he is the image of the invisible God. He is both God and man. He is God. He's fully God come to earth as one of us. And he's obedient to the point of death. He is so obedient to God's ways that the world would have nothing of it. And they killed him. And he did that because we can't. Jesus was obedient for you. Salvation, therefore, is by not trusting in yourself. Salvation is, it's impossible to enter into a relationship with your creator whom you have chosen to rebel against, whom I have chosen to rebel against. It's impossible for us to just mend that, to reconcile that on our own. We can't. His standard is perfection. And so salvation is not, is not believing or thinking wishfully that we can somehow earn God's love by being obedient no, salvation is us falling on our knees before our God creator and saying, I can't do this, but Jesus, I know that you did it for me. And so my faith is not in my obedience. My faith is in your obedience to the point of your death, your death in my place. 
you're ra- and you're raising from the grave. I know that you're alive. I know that I'm saved, not by my works, but by faith in what you've already done. I know that I can love you now because you've already loved me first. And so that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, listen to this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But get this. If you do, look at this in verse 10, Ephesians 2, 10. If you do, if you do humble yourself and you say, Lord Jesus, I need you and I know I can't do this. You must be my savior. I cannot save myself before a holy God. If you humble yourself and commit your life to Christ, guess what that means? Verse 10, for we, we are his workmanship. In other words, you now are created in Christ Jesus for obedience, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, now you, Christian, you, follower of Jesus, you have the opportunity because of nothing you've done, but everything Christ has done, you have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to live in obedience to the word of God who made you and knows you better than anyone else. You have a responsibility, a command from God himself to live as his workmanship, to show the world that you, you now belong to him and you are aligning your life. You're aligning your life with the reality of his truth and you're living in obedience, not to promote yourself, but to promote his glory, his goodness, his truth. And so humbly, humbly before a watching world, May we seek to be obedient and live lives that are transformed by his power and his love. That speaks, that speaks to a watching world. That speaks to your neighbor who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks to your family member who you've been praying for for years. It speaks to the coworker who sits beside you or works in your department that you know has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with church. It speaks when they see us living out the workmanship of God, the reality of his truth. Galatians, Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is fruit in our lives that the Holy Spirit produces in us. I want to share with you, this is in closing, I just want to share with you a few character qualities and characteristics. These are some definitions that uh, my wife Christy and I have found over the years, and and this has been helpful for us. Um, Character qualities, definitions that I want to share with you real quick. All right, these aren't on the screen, so you just have to listen. The fruit of the Spirit. This is just three three of the fruit of the Spirit right here. Gentleness. All right, think about this. In your your real day-to-day life, whether it be at work, with your friends, right, at school, or just around your family, right, are you a gentle person? In other words, are you showing and exhibiting to the world around you, wherever the context is, that God has transformed your life? At least, are you seeking to do this? Is there evidence that God has worked in your heart? So are you gentle instead of being harsh? Are you showing personal care and concern and meeting the needs of others in a gentle way? What about this? Are you patient? Are you patient instead of just being restless, right? Or in other words, the definition of patience could be, are you accepting a difficult, a difficult situation from God without giving him a deadline to remove it? Wow. Are you accepting difficult situations in your life that are ultimately from God, allowing you to experience something for a good purpose and a reason? Are you allowing 
God to do things without giving him a deadline to remove it? Are you patient? Do people see you as a patient person? Do they see the character of heart and heart of God in you through that? Lastly, joy. Are you joyful instead of perhaps wallowing in self-pity? Definition there, are you maintaining a good attitude even when faced with unpleasant circumstances? Are you maintaining a good attitude even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances? Not that you are fake nice to people or you think that the circumstance itself, even though it's bad, it's good. No, are you just, is there a river of joy flowing through your heart that people can see? Do you see it? The work of God in our hearts, in our lives, his Holy Spirit transforms the way we live our lives in front of others. That speaks obedience to God's word. It really is a faithful witness to a lost and dark world.